One of the greatest obstacles to crafting health and wellness is identifying and controlling inflammation. It's at the core of all complex and chronic diseases, and it's the driving mechanism that underlies the most common symptoms that people like you struggle to overcome. Join us as we explore cutting-edge science and research to give you the information and tools you need to create the quality of life you want and deserve. And now, here is the host of Inflammation Nation, Dr. Stephen Noseworthy. Hey there, it's Dr. Noseworthy. Welcome back to the Inflammation Nation podcast. Today, we're kicking off a new mini-series uh, with the topic of weight loss. And I know I've done a couple of episodes on this in the past, specifically talking about weight loss and inflammation. And that topic is going to come up again, of course, in, in the context of this discussion. But I th what I thought I would do is go back and just revisit weight loss in general. Um, and ultimately, with the the goal of, of talking about the obstacles to weight loss. Um, if weight, if weight loss was easy, nobody would care about podcasts like this or episodes like this, just simply because people would make some changes, uh, you know, to diet and activity, for example, and they would lose weight and they'd be happy and nobody would be struggling with weight loss. But it turns out that people, not all people, but many people struggle quite a bit with losing weight. And that might be just initiating weight loss it might be struggling in sustaining weight loss over long periods of time, or it might be just simply, you know, kind of those stubborn last 10 or 15 pounds after some successful weight loss up to a certain point. Um, and really what I want to talk about in this introductory episode, let's call it, is the failure of the calories in calories out model. And if I look back or think back over, you know, maybe the last 40 or 50 coaching clients that I've worked with on a one-to-one -one basis. Weight loss is, is quite commonly a feature of the case that we're working on, and, and it might be in some way part of someone's chief complaints. I, I will tell you, it is very rare for someone coming to me with their complaints to, to work, like to put together a, a functional medicine program for them. It's very rare for weight loss to be the number one or the only one complaint. It's very common, and sometimes it's an issue, but people are more concerned, for example, about their gut health, their thyroid, their brain health, but they also feel like, hey, I need to lose some weight as well. And so weight loss is a very common thing in and among people who deal with inflammatory-type conditions or disorders, whether that is autoimmunity or just inflammation in a general sense coming from other non-autoimmune-type sources. But inevitably, when I ask someone, well, you know, what have you tried to do to lose weight? The answer is almost always, well, I eat less and I exercise more. And I can't blame anyone for that mentality just simply because that's what has been drummed into our collective mindset for decades. Um, and that's probably still the very common thing that you're going to hear if you go talk to, for example, like your general practitioner or perhaps even maybe a nutritionist or a dietitian who only knows their sphere of knowledge, they will tell you, well, you have to eat less and you have to increase your calorie burn, as they call it, by increasing your activity and your exercise. And to be honest, that can work for a bunch of people. Um, but for people who are uh, metabolically deranged, let's say, or have all these metabolic type imbalances, sometimes that's not sufficient. Sometimes that's not uh, effective in the sense that it doesn't even allow someone to drop a pound. And, and there is even a smaller subsection of people who, when they drop the calories and increase their activity, they actually gain weight. Um, and so we want to sort out 
a whole bunch of different questions, maybe bust a few myths along the way, and also talk um, in some detail about the most common obstacles that I see both in research and in practical clinical practice as uh, the main obstacles that prevent weight loss, fat loss particularly, uh, and then just talk about, well, basically create a mental framework, right? Give you some knowledge and some information so that you can do a self-evaluation and see if any of these issues might be applicable or, or pertain to you. So let's go back to this calories in, calories out model. You might remember years ago, there was a, a pretty popular TV show called The Biggest Loser. And this, if you've never seen it, I'm sure you could probably find it out on the internet somewhere. But um, basically, they took these celebrity trainers and they would have people who were overweight and have struggled with weight loss uh, to commit to X number of weeks of uh, being basically at, at a weight loss camp. It was all televised, obviously. It was recorded for TV. And it is in that genre of reality TV shows, which I think we all know at this point, reality TV shows may not actually represent true reality. But nevertheless, um, basically these people were put on extreme calorie diets, extremely low calorie deficit diets, and they were asked to exercise up to four to six hours per day. Of course, during an hour TV show, you only see snippets of that. But in some cases, the weight loss was absolutely dramatic. Um, and you, you end up investing in these people emotionally because you learn about their lives, you learn about their stories, you learn about their struggles, um, and you root for them to win, to be the winner, or at least to lose weight on a week-to-week basis. But, you know, I always thought it was curious because every once in a while during any given episode in any given season, you would have a participant who was only eating the foods that they were provided, which is how this program worked. They provided all of the food. So it's no, like you couldn't cheat. There's no way to consume excess calories. They were, they would exercise with their trainers multiple times a day, different trainers doing different types of exercise. Some of it was weight training, resistance training, others like classic cardio. They had the option of uh, investing extra time on their own if they wanted to increase their calorie burn. And so basically they were expected to eat a certain calorie deficit diet that was provided to them. And they had to work out X number of hours per day and achieve on a daily basis a certain amount of expended calories. And, and the theory was that if you if you eat less than you burn or expend in terms of energy, then you're going to lose weight. But every once in a while, again, on any given episode in any given season, somebody would step on the weight when they had been eating a controlled calorie deficit diet and literally been forced course, they agreed to it, but forced to exercise and expend a certain amount of energy, which was more than the food that they were consuming. And they either wouldn't lose weight or sometimes their weight would go up by maybe two or four pounds. And it was hilarious because the every time this happened, and of course, this is the result of editing as well in post-production, but the camera would switch to the trainers and they would have these baffled looks. And then the accusations would come, right? You would, you would have these uh, little clips where people were, or the trainers would take that person aside and, you know, tell them, well, you must have eaten more food or, you know, you didn't get your calorie burn. And they had the proof. I mean, they were following the program and they're monitored constantly, almost 24 hours a day, so to speak. And every time we saw that happen, in the back of my mind, I'm going, this is ridiculous. These are, you know, literally world known physical trainers and part of their fame and renown has come from the TV show. Shouldn't they understand that there's more to weight loss than just simple 
mathematics, calories in versus calories out. And invariably, and I've seen several, oh, I guess let's call them debates, videos on the internet where this idea of calories in, calories out not being sufficient comes up. And the answer from, you know, these well-known and, and well-qualified and credentialed trainers was to quote the first law of thermodynamics, which basically is a law within physics, biochemistry. I'm not sure what field it falls in, to be honest. But anyways, the first law of thermo thermodynamics basically says that energy can only convert from one form to another. It can't be created or destroyed. And if that law of thermodynamics holds to be true and encompasses all aspects of that relationship, then certainly if you consume fewer calories than you expend on a routine basis, you should lose weight. It should be a guarantee because after all, this is a law of thermodynamics. And so to kind of translate that maybe out of a lab setting into just real life scenarios, when you consume food that contains energy in the form of calories, your body converts that into uh, the currency of energy, we call it ATP, it's adenosine triphosphate, but basically it's the energy that your cells use to do work. And then we take that energy that we extract from our food and we use that to do work. We use it to stand and walk and bend and lift things and go for a walk or take your dog out or do some jumping jacks or go for a hike or go to the gym. And all other things being equal, if you consume an equal amount of calories and energy comes into your body that is equal to, but no greater and no less than the amount of energy that you expend, your weight should stay the same. Consequently, if you consume a calorie deficit, you consume fewer calories than you expend in the form of work through activity and exercise, then you should, all other things being equal, lose weight. But we know that that doesn't work for a lot of people, particularly those who are inflamed for whatever reason that might be. Now, we know that that relationship doesn't capture every aspect. And so one of the things that's come up in, in the last decade or so in terms of opposition to this calories model, calories in, calories out model, is what's called the hormonal model of weight loss or the hormonal model of body composition, if you want to say it that way. And that's not to say that calories are not important. Calories certainly are important. And I would suggest to you, in, in most cases, that um, if you consume more calories than you expend, then you're probably going to gain weight. If you consume the same amount, your weight will stay the same. But if you consume less, in general, you should lose weight unless there's an obstacle. So again, calories are very important because in, in most cases, and I'll come back to that in a second, in most cases, if you are not consuming a, a diet that is uh, puts you into a caloric deficit, you're probably not going to lose weight. Now, in a twist, and this is something that we'll talk about in more detail probably in a different episode because I just want to get some general concepts out and, and lay the groundwork for some more detailed discussions about specific things. There are some occasions and circumstances where actually in order to lose body fat specifically, whether or not your scale weight changes is a different issue. But in order to lose body fat, some people actually have to eat more food. And that's particularly true if you're dealing with somebody who is fairly active and going to the gym on a routine basis as either part of their lifestyle or part of their fat loss or weight loss 
um, paradigm or their approach. And the reason for that is, is quite often people pursue a low-calorie diet in an effort to lose weight. And if they have obstacles that prevent the weight loss from actually happening, remember I've said many times here already, all other things being equal. But in some cases, people pursue this calorie deficit diet and perhaps they're in the gym working out consistently and expending energy. But what ends up happening if, is if there are obstacles to that relationship working and, and resulting in weight loss or fat loss specifically, what ends up happening is the metabolic rate can drop. And so what used to be a calorie deficit diet now more closely matches what your metabolic state is. And now you're no longer in a calorie deficit. So somebody might, and I'm just going to make up numbers here just to illustrate concept, but the, these will be relatively close to the average person. Let's say you have um, like a middle-aged female who has some excess body weight and they want to get rid of that and they lower their calories, they increase their activity level, but not recognizing that they have some metabolic obstacles to weight loss. And maybe they lose a couple of pounds and they get encouraged, but then that kind of tapers off and they don't lose any more weight. And so they think the answer is either one or both of decreasing calories even more or increasing activity more. So instead of being in the gym two or three days a week, they're in the gym five or six days a week. And instead of eating a 300 calorie deficit, they drop it down maybe to 600. So instead of eating, for example, again, instead of eating a maintenance calorie intake of 1500 calories, maybe they drop it down, say, to 1000. It's a 500 calorie difference, which is pretty significant. And that doesn't work either. <laughs> And so what ends up happening is, is you keep scaling up your activity output and the expenditure of energy and calories, and you keep scaling back your energy and caloric intake so that you're at even more of an energy deficit. And that is a certainly a biological stressor on the body, which tends to promote more inflammation and oxidative stress, which will present further obstacles to weight loss. And all of a sudden you have somebody who's pursuing a very, very, very low calorie diet trying to increase their output and expenditure, and the net result is not weight loss. The net result is a downregulation of your metabolic state. And so, again, this is very common. And in fact, it's so common that one of the questions that I use on, on my intake questionnaire for clients that want to work with me one-on-one -on -one is asking them whether or not they actually don't lose weight or actually gain weight on a low-calorie diet with activity. And if the answer to that is yes, then I know that it's not just simply a matter of calories, calories in, calories out. Remember, all other things being equal, meaning that if there are no metabolic obstacles to weight loss, then yes, the only thing that really matters is that relationship between the calories and energy you take in and the energy you expend. That's where this first law of thermodynamics is actually going to work out in and be consistent with how that first law is actually stated. But I think part of the problem is that when we look at weight gain, weight loss, or weight maintenance as a, as a clinical entity or problem, um, it's not just simply the relationship of energy in versus energy out that governs whether or not someone's going to lose weight. And this is where something like the hormonal model comes in. And I'm not going to go into a bunch of detail right now, but just to, to give you one example of these, those things, because we're going to eventually end up talking about thyroid. We're going to talk about inflammation. We're going to talk about estrogens and androgens and all these different things. 
But one of the key hormones that needs to be regulated and controlled or to exist in a good um, synergistic relationship with other hormones is the control of insulin and its relationship to another hormone called glucagon. And I know that we've talked about this a couple of times in, in episodes past. And so maybe if you're a person who is struggling and doesn't understand why you keep lowering your calories and increasing your activity, and not only are you not losing weight, but maybe you're actually gaining weight, chances are that, that there are metabolic obstacles, which may or may not include control of things like insulin and its relationship with glucagon, may or may not include the status of your thyroid system, regardless of whether you've been diagnosed with a formal um, condition like Hashimoto's hypothyroidism. Maybe it's rooted in the balance of your reproductive hormones. Maybe it's rooted in your oxidative stress and inflammatory load, which may be coming from your gut, from chronic infections, from stress chemistry, and so on, and so on, and so on. And to be honest, you know, like putting weight loss as the focal point of the discussion over the next handful of episodes that we're going to do is going to give us an opportunity to have a discussion of a very broad range of metabolic challenges that are very, very common, especially with people who are part of the inflammation nation. And part of what I want to accomplish is to give you some things to think about, give you some ways that you can do some kind of a self-analysis and figure out whether or not these are some of the challenges that you're, that you're dealing with. Now, one of the things that I mentioned earlier is, you know, we, I, I can rephrase it as uh, sometimes people actually have to eat more to weigh less. And again, this is very common for people who have downregulated their metabolism by constantly pursuing a hypocaloric diet and then demanding more and more activity from their bodies. It's also very common um, among certain types of athletes. And, and I don't necessarily mean athletes in the sense of, hey, I'm, I'm in a sport and I'm in a competition, but I, I would consider these people athletes of life. You know, they're people who just like to exercise. They'd like to be fit. And so maybe they're part of a CrossFit box or maybe they'll go to Orange Theory Fitness or some type of group type physical training, or maybe they're, they're kind of a solo person. They just like to go to the gym and work out a lot. Um, sometimes we have to balance different goals or the way that we approach different goals. And so, for example, I might offer different recommendations for somebody who wants to try to gain some muscle and lose some fat at the same time, which, to be honest, most of us probably need to do that. Um, if somebody doesn't care about their body fat, gaining muscle is relatively easy, as long as we're not dealing with some hidden issues or maybe some genetic limitations. Uh, for somebody who wants to simply lose body fat, doesn't care about adding muscle mass, if we can identify what their obstacles are, then that seems to be relatively easy. It's also possible for somebody to add muscle and lose body fat at the same time. And understand that I'm trying to draw a distinction between weight loss and fat loss. Usually when somebody says, I want to lose weight, they're really thinking, what they're really saying to me is, I have more body fat than I want and I need to get rid of it. And the assumption is if the rest of their body, their lean body mass, which is their muscle mass, their bone, et cetera, stays the same and they lose body fat, then the scale weight is going to change. But let's say that you weigh, I don't know, 15 pounds more than what you would like to. If you lost 15 pounds of body fat and gained 15 pounds of muscle, so the net change in your scale is zero, 
Let's say you start at 160 pounds and you really think you should be 145. If you lose 15 pounds of fat, gain 15 pounds of muscle, I can promise you that you will, you will look and feel and function like a rock star, but the scale is still going to read 160 pounds. And so make sure one of the very first things that I want you to think about for yourself, if this is an issue for you, is what is my goal? Is it, what is really my goal? Is it to see a different number on the scale at any cost? Or is it to go through what we call recompositioning, where you drop body fat, add some muscle, and maybe the scale moves, but maybe not as much as you think it should? The net result shouldn't necessarily just be a number on a scale. Like, don't be satisfied with whatever your ideal body, body weight goal is if that means that you've lost muscle mass to get there. What you don't want to do is go on some kind of a crash or a fad diet or some kind of, you know, some of these, you know, very commonly prescribed physician-directed approaches. I'm thinking of the HCG diet. Sometimes there's injections. Sometimes there's homeopathic supplements. Some people can lose a lot of weight really quickly on these, but a very large percentage of that weight loss is actually muscle mass and not just body fat. And that is not what you want to do. I'm telling you right now, if you want to lose, if you want the scale to go down, the main thing you're really after is a drop in your body fat. If you keep your lean body mass the same and lose body fat, you're going to see the scale don't go down. But if you offset fat loss with muscle gain, and you become functional, more functional, you get stronger, your endurance goes up, you will look better, your clothes will feel different, you'll probably have to go on a shopping spree to get smaller sizes because a pound of muscle is more compact than a pound of fat. If I lose five pounds of, of body fat and I add five pounds of muscle, I might lose two or three inches off my waist, for example. So be very clear with yourself about what your ultimate goal is. Is it just simply a number on a scale or is it a certain level of functionality, a certain look and feel, being able to get into a new set of clothes? Are you okay with losing fat and gaining muscle if it means that you don't actually get to the number on the scale that you think is optimal? Now, let me talk about one final thing before we close this introduction. And, and that is the danger of not knowing where you're starting from when you commit to reducing your calories. Again, I, I quite often refer to the questions that I ask on my personal coaching intake form. But one of the things that I will, that I have a, as a question on that is, do you know what your caloric intake is? And do you know what your macronutrient profile is? Like how much protein, fat, and carbs you're eating? And uh, I would say that probably one maybe two people out of 15, somewhere around there, actually have a handle on that. Most people have no clue. They have no idea how much food they're eating. They don't know if they're over their caloric requirements or under. They might not even know. what They probably don't know what the caloric requirements are, let alone knowing whether or not they actually are hitting their targets with term, in terms of protein, fat, and carbs. Um, here's an example. I did, I did a consult not long ago with a lady who's a fitness professional. And, uh, you know, she's coming to me for other issues, but weight loss is one of her concerns. But she she knows enough to know that for her, weight loss is going to happen as a result of cleaning up her metabolic environment and dealing with the other big issues. And so when we went through her intake form, 
you know, she said, I, I don't know how much food I'm eating. I have no awareness of my caloric intake or my macronutrient breakdown, which is interesting because she had per- been pursuing a caloric deficit. But my question is, how, well, how do you know that what you think is a caloric deficit is actually a caloric deficit if you don't know how many calories you should be eating or what your calorie intake actually is? So one of the very first things that I have my new clients, my one-on-one coaching clients do is give me a four-day diet diary using some kind of a, a calorie or macro tracker. And there's any number of them out there. It's like MyFitnessPal. There's apps for your smartphone like Carb Manager or Macros, just if you're interested in doing this, which I think is a valuable exercise. Um, you know, you just go into your smartphone store and just type in something like Calorie Tracker or macro tracker, something like that. And you'll come up with any number of free as well as paid versions of apps that will allow you to track these and just give you some visibility and some awareness. But here's the problem. If somebody doesn't have that awareness of what are their, their starting point is or where they are and they say, okay, I'm going to lower my calories right now. And they opt to lower their calories, maybe 350 calories a day, which is kind of a standard Standard um, recommendation if you want to lose, for example, one pound per week. And the theory is 350 calorie deficit over a period of seven days should equate to the caloric value of one pound of weight or body fat particularly. But if you don't know where you're starting, maybe you were already at a deficit and you dropped your calories even more. Over time, what's going to end up happening is you are going to downregulate your metabolism or your metabolic state. You're going to end up burning less calories at rest, even less calories with increased activity. And all of a sudden, what was a caloric deficit now matches what your basal metabolic rate is, and your weight loss stops if it even starts at all. So there are so many different combinations and permutations, if you will, that can lead into inefficient or ineffective weight loss. Why don't we have a conversation and try to straighten those out? And if in the course of this podcast miniseries, you come up with a couple of tidbits that, you know, kind of unlock that potential for you or clarify some questions so that you can formulate your own strategy, then fantastic. That's exactly what I'm looking for. And, you know, as always, if you feel like you've tapped out your ability to figure this stuff out in your own and you want someone to help guide you, you can use the contact form on my website and just reach out and say, hey, can we talk? Can we do a consultation? I'd be happy to do that. Um, and you can find that on my website, which is drnoseworthy or drnoseworthy.com. All right, let me just leave it there for the introduction. We'll be back in a few days with the next episode in this mini series on weight loss here on the Inflammation Nation. Thank you so much for listening to the Inflammation Nation. If you found this episode valuable, please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. Be the first to know when a new episode drops so that you can stay on top of your game. It also helps others like you find the answers they need. And why not head over to my main website, drnoseworthy.com, that's drnoseworthy.com, to explore my personalized functional medicine coaching programs, submit a question to the podcast, maybe take a quiz, or even reach out to me using the contact form that you can find there. We'll see you next time.